0: Today I want to continue on in our Revelation study. I want to open up uh, to chapter 8, and we're going to see uh, what John reveals to us about the final judgment. And we've been doing a lot of work. In chapter 7, we actually spent three weeks in chapter 7, one week on the 144,000, one week on the recapitulation of the story of Israel through looking at Matthew and all that's a fancy way of saying how Jesus Christ is actually true Israel and how he walked out Israel's history throughout his life and how he did everything that Israel failed to do in order to secure the covenant promises for all those that would be born again in Christ Jesus. Well then we went to the third week uh, in chapter 7 and we looked at the great multitude that is uh, seen in chapter 7 verses 9 through 17 and we uh, looked at how in my opinion at least in the in the text that this is the same group as the 144,000 but from a different perspective and we saw then this throne room scene of all of these who have been born again by the power of Jesus Christ sealed by the Holy Spirit redeemed from the beginning of time uh, or set apart from the beginning of time to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they would be raised up, and they would sing, and they would shout, and they would go crazy for Jesus Christ, as they have been, as it says in verse uh, 14, as they have been. What? They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, the funny thing is, is that Jesus Christ does everything seemingly ironic. He says oftentimes, he's a very weird guy, comparatively speaking, to the world. They would think he's very, very odd, and that's what the Scripture says, is that he's saying things like the last will be first and the first will be last. He often does things backwards than anybody would ever think that he would do them. He does things that we wouldn't quite consider uh, culturally relevant or that we would consider to be cool or hip or the way that we would do it. He does it backwards from what everybody expected him to do, from the way that he came, the work that he did, the way that he secured salvation, the way that he died, the way that he raised, everything was just completely backwards from what anybody expected him to do. Well, we see here that when these saints cry out in chapter 6, we said that when they cry out in chapter 6, when the fifth seal is opened, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for their witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And we said much of what happens after that is in answering to this prayer that the saints pray, those who have been uh, washed in the blood, those who are hidden under the altar, the altar is Christ, those who have been uh, uh, covered in the sacrificial uh, laying down of the life of the Son of God. They, they, They cry out this prayer, when will you avenge our blood? When will you right all things wrong? When will you wipe away everything? When will you do, when will you correct all of this wrong that has been committed against those who love you and those who have laid down their life? Well, as we continued on in chapter six into chapter seven, we see this unfolding and he says, you must hold on for a little while because I've got some work to do. We can't do the final vindication. We can't do the final judgment until all the number of the elect, all the number of your brothers, your fellow servants come into the fold. And then it asks this question at the end of chapter six, it says, who can stand into the great day of his wrath? And then chapter 7 answers this question for us of who can stand through this tribulation until we see the unfolding of the wrath of God to answer the prayer of the saints that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Let me ask you now, those of you who are believers, is it not in your soul that one day isn't God going to right all these wrongs? I mean, we see the atrocities. We see even the atrocities in our own lives. We have sin in our own life. And we say, God, when are you going to relieve me of this sin and this flesh and this temptation? I want it done away with. I want it gone. I want it carried as far as east is from the west. And then we see, though, also in the world, the flesh has its way so often. And we see murder in the streets. We see bloodshed, innocent lives lost of children. We see the abortion rates going through the roof. And we understand that this is the greatest genocide, the greatest uh, uh, cultural homicide that we've ever even known. Millions and millions and millions. And and not just that, but we see the degradation of lives, the degradation of people In in the womanhood class this morning. We talked a little bit about in other nations how women are just treated as objects, sex slaves. Children are sold as sex slaves, as sex toys all the time. And we see this and we think, God, when? When are you going to do something? when well it's revealed in the text that he is doing something and he will do something but the way that he's doing it is far from anything that we would recognize as the way that he should do it don't we want to oftentimes we want to pick up arms we want to pick up arms we want to we want to hold on to our guns and i'm all for gun rights i got a few guns myself you know don't throw any shoes at me keep your guns it's fine But the text very clearly says that we do not wage war as the world wages war for our weapons are not of this world. But they have spiritual significance. And the crazy thing is, the irony is, is the way that we conquer the world is by laying down our lives and not by picking up arms. Because we do it the way that Jesus Christ done it. And you say, why are you saying all this right now? One, it's to, uh, uh, it, it, it's to recap what we have been saying. But two, I want you to look at one verse here that just jumped out at me as I was planning this. And I want you to see it because I want you to feel it. Because the last judgment, the last judgment is not about pouring out meanness on those who have been bad, but it's about justifying the righteous vindication of Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Listen to the the verse right here in verse 14 of chapter 7 before we move into chapter 8. I said to him, sir, you know, speaking of who are these that come out, he said, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In whose blood did they make them white? In the blood of Jesus. You say, what does that got to do with anything? You see, what it does not say is that they washed their robes clean in the blood of their enemies. There's so much violence and so much hatred even from Christians. They're looking to take over the world by means of the world. They're looking to take over the world by violence and bloodshed. They're looking to to disregard and disassociate themselves from these people and that people and look down on this people and that people, and they're not loving them. And we look and you say, what do you mean? Let's take one people group, for example, the Muslim. How many of us would love to go and lay down our life for the Muslim that he would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be transformed by the bloodshed of the Lamb of God? And everybody in the room just got gross at me. Muslims. Muslims. You don't think Muslims need Jesus? Did I reveal your heart? Did I reveal your flesh? Your slip is showing. Your hatred is on your sleeve. Jesus Christ is the one who laid down his life in order to bring in his enemies and birth them into his family and make them sons and daughters of God. Are you eagerly anticipating the judgment of God because he would kill those evil people? Or are you asking him to prolong a little while so that you can love them into the kingdom? The only reason that you hate those people is that you've forgotten who you were, or you've lost sight of who you are, because Jesus Christ said, "If you love me, you will love them." And so as we come to the seventh seal, I've been asked a question, and I think it's a good question. I've been asked a question. How can the saints in chapter 6 be believers if they are asking God to vindicate them and they're asking God to pour out wrath on those of the earth? That's a good question. Because you tell me a place in the New Testament where the believer is rightly and justly calling for the condemnation and the wrath of God to be poured poured out on those around them. Show it to me. Jesus Christ says, turn the other cheek. Jesus Christ says, love your enemies. Jesus Christ says, the last will be first and the first will be last. Jesus Christ says that if you want to be the greatest, then you must be the least and you must serve. You must lay your life down. He who uh, desires to be my disciple must pick up his cross and follow me. If he will not pick up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. So, so how is it that these saints are calling for the, for, for the condemnation, for the wrath of God to be poured out against all ungodliness and unrighteousness? I think it's because of their perspective. You say, what do you mean? I, I believe it's because of their, their glorified state. You see, these people who are under the altar are with Christ. Christ. These are those who have been slain. These are those who have lost their life on the count of their testimony in the Word of God. They are with Christ. To be apart from the body is to be with Christ. They are with Christ. They have been glorified. They have been not completely glorified because the second coming hadn't come yet, and we're waiting our full adoption as sons, but they are with Christ, and to be with Christ is to be removed from sin, and they can rightly and justly look and say, God, when will you vindicate us? When will you vindicate your own blood? When will you? You pour out wrath and judgment on these wicked, wicked people who have turned their back on you. You see, their perspective is different from ours. They're with Christ. They can see. They're fully seen. And so they can call for this. But never forget that from our perspective, from down here, we lay our lives down. We call upon the Lord for mercy for us and for all that is around us. If we get to a level to where we think that we can call down judgment on someone else, then we have placed ourselves in the place of God. And I don't speak of holding each other accountable. Everybody in the room that knows me knows that I am fully aware that the Scripture teaches that believers should judge believers based on their actions and based on their fruits in love in order to restore and to train in righteousness and so on and so forth. I'm speaking of those who would proclaim condemnation on someone else instead of showing them the love of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this exactly have to do with what I am preaching today from from Revelation chapter 8? Well, let's look at the text and let's stand to our feet as we read. We're only going to look at the first uh, five verses and then we'll look at 6 through 13 next week. Chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So the reason that I wanted to, in the introduction, connect these verses to the saints in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 is that this is the answered prayers of these saints. We have here an allusion to the temple of God and to the tabernacle system where uh, in the uh, in the holy place, right outside the holy of holies, there would have been a, a high priest who would enter in and he would offer on the altar of incense the, the, the these prayers that would rise up before the Lord and they would be heard before the Lord and he would sacrifice on behalf of the people. So you see, in keeping with this same type, in keeping with this same model this is the final judgment of the earth and all who dwell on the earth who have not bowed the knee to jesus christ who have not looked on him with faith and been born again by the power of the holy spirit and it is the prayer what we see is it's the prayers of the saints that are coming up to god and are being poured out onto the earth you see the scripture is very clear that we will have part in judging the earth how is it because we're righteous and we look down on them and we, you, you, you? No, 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 no. It is that our blood cries out from the ground as we've been martyred because we would not back down and we would not compromise our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we conquer the same way Jesus conquered, not with guns and fists, but with bloodshed, pain, and suffering. Yeah. That was weird, Jeremy. <laughs> 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 Call it how it is, you know? But hey, he's living the word. Because James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials and tribulations, for it is producing what? Perseverance. You see, we so often in our culture, we want to turn and run from the persecution or from the rebuke or from the suffering when Jesus Christ has said, this is the method that I have chosen that you would be my my disciples, that you would be my magnifying glass, that you would be my megaphone. (laughs) The church is built on the back of the martyrs. It always has been and it always will be. Oh Lord, how I need this message because how I love to debate and argue. Usually it's in house. I try to keep it in house, you know, and people don't understand. You know, they say it's useless. My wife really doesn't get it. But Keith, I try to tell her it's good and helpful, isn't it? (laughs) You knew it was coming to you. When my brothers and I debate, we're sharpening each other. But I want to tell you something I do recognize, and I think this is where the confusion comes sometimes, is that when we argue and debate in an unhealthy way with an unbeliever, we actually do more damage than we do good. What are we going to convince them of the truth? I do believe in a good, healthy debate and uh, that we can speak to those who are unbelievers and try to show them the glories of God. But I think it can spiral downhill very quickly and become uh, human, philosophizing, and, and meaningless chatter. And so we need to be very careful. But it oftentimes moves way past that. Let me ask you this. How does your, how does your Christianity manifest itself in your reality? Is Your Christianity, your reality? Or are you trying to fit it into your reality? You see the difference? Do you see the difference? Because many of us, I've been there, many of us, we talk a good game, but we don't walk worth the you-know-what. We're talking out of both sides of our mouth. We say we worship a king who laid his life down that I might be made whole, who was unworthy, unjust, uh, unrighteous, completely and totally depraved, spit in his face and hated him with every ounce of my being. Yet he chased me down, loved me, grabbed me, looked me in the eye and said, wait, I love you. And he reached in and he snatched out my heart of stone like Bruce Lee on steroids. And he put in a heart of flesh. He placed his spirit within me because I did not yield to him. I never chose Christ until he chose me. And the only reason I chose him is because he put the spirit in me to to empower me and lead me and guide me to choose him. But once I saw him, once he revealed himself, I couldn't unchoose him. because he's just too good. He's so desirable, I can't walk away. That's exactly why we should be committed to our wives for the rest of our lives. The only time you become unfaithful is when you see something else you think is more desirable. Take our eyes off the prize and it's it's rough after that. But you see... Jesus Christ did a work in you to place that spirit inside of you. You didn't want him. You didn't come to him. He chased you down. He loved you. You see, does your Christianity reveal itself in your life every minute of every day? Is your Christianity a reality or is it something that you're trying to place in there? Are you inconsistent? We say that we serve this God who laid down his life for us and who, who, who went to the ends of the earth in order to bring us into his kingdom. But then the moment somebody offends us or cuts us off in traffic, we're like this. Except a different finger. And then you got the well sticker on the back of your car. (laughs) Come on. Who bought those stickers anyway? (laughs) I had somebody from another church and uh, I was talking to them. They said, Where do you go to church? I didn't tell them I was a pastor. They said, Where do you go to church? I said, I go to the well. Turns out the guy was a cop and he says, Oh, yeah, I pull people over those stickers on all the time. We try to reach the broken officer. <laughs> amen? <laughs> you see, we oftentimes forget who we serve. who's our master? We don't look like him. We don't look like him. I can confess I don't all the time. You know I you know buried my soul in here a few weeks ago just hadn't been spending time with the Lord. And, you know, if you don't spend time with the Lord, don't think you're going to look like him. Just, just like, and don't think you're going to love him and you're going to see him and you're going to desire him either. Because just like if you don't spend time with your wife and you don't, and you, don't you know, uh, woo her and her and dine her, you know, and you don't remind yourself and she doesn't remind herself then you're going to get this distance between you and you lose sight. That's how that happens. And it's the same way with Jesus on an eternal scale. You gotta walk with him. You gotta talk with him. You gotta be rebuked by him. You gotta be encouraged by him. You've got to be ups and downs and ins and outs. And you move like this right here. And 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 as you are, as you get closer to him, and as you move and breathe and find your life and being in him, then you start to be conformed to the image of the Son and you start to live that life in others. And that's how your Christianity becomes your reality instead of your reality trying to find a place for your Christianity. And you start to be Christ to a lost and dying world. Man, it starts really working out of you then. And you start to lay your life down for others. And when somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're like, God bless you. Which we all know what that means in Southern. <laughs> you're so stupid. <laughs> you know, bless your heart. No, but really, all jokes aside, isn't it? When you're walking and talking with Jesus and you are seeing what he is doing in you, then you're so much quicker to forgive everybody around you. I know I am, you know, with the little football team and with my little boys and with my little girl, you know. If I'm walking with Christ and I'm watching him wash away my sins and sanctify me. See, justification happens at one time. But sanctification is a process that we walk out and we and we become conformed to the image of the son through life and breath in him and through the scriptures through memorization through life and through these things and and as I start to walk in that I can see my sin that I'm much more forgiving with my kids and even my discipline so i don't I'm not saying that discipline goes away when you're in love with Jesus no I'm saying that your discipline is done in a loving way and reaps way more fruit because if you're not walking with christ all your All your discipline is, is angry retribution. I know, because I've been there. I know, because I've been there. You see, when I'm not walking with Christ and my child does something that, 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 that I'm not happy with, I jerk him up and I punish him in order for him to pay for what he's done. But when I'm walking with Christ and I understand forgiveness and grace and mercy, I pull him up and I discipline him in order to bring him back to where he was. You see the difference? One is condemnation and punishment and putting on the outskirts. One is discipline to draw back into relationship. There's a huge difference. A huge difference. Punishment pushes kids away. Discipline draws them near. And I've seen it work both ways. If I do it out of a heart of anger, they run. I can spank my kids out of a heart of love and discipline, and they run to me, even though I just spanked them. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You've done it the right way, and you've done it the wrong way. Well, we see this is the foundation. This is the, this is the, the thrust of this. And, and, and when we see this, this magnifying of the name of Jesus, this this exalting of the King of Kings in chapter seven, as it's moving uh, through uh, this 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 picture of the throne room uh, of the end times after the judgment, we look back now at the at the at the seventh seal, which is the final judgment of God. And if you remember, in chapter six, we went through the the. The five seals. The four seals were tribulation. The fifth seal was the saints under the altar. The sixth seal was opened up. And now we have the seventh seal, which is the judgment of God and the final judgment of God being opened up in answer to the prayer of the uh, saints in chapter six. Listen to what he says. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, there's different ways that you can understand. I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but there's different ways that we can understand the relationship between the seven uh, seals and the seven trumpets, which start in chapter 8 as well. Now, there's different interpretive models here. Some think that the seven seals... And the seventh seal is only a transition into the next set of uh, judgments, and it's a wholly different set of judgments, and they're in linear order like this. So you have the seven seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, and they're all linear, different times of tribulation. I don't believe that's how uh, this is teaching. I don't believe that's what is going on here. I believe that the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls are recapitulations of the same event. Now, I do believe that each judgment series is going to add to our understanding of the judgment and the tribulation that God is going to pour out onto the earth. Okay? But what I understand it to be saying is, is that the seven seals are the tribulation and the judgment of God. And you see the final judgment, the vindication of the righteous, the the, the exaltation of the lamb. And then it goes into, now they're interlocked, they're interlocked. But then it goes into the seven trumpets to show the same instance in a greater way and in a more detailed way. Okay, So I don't see that there's going to be several different moments of tribulation going throughout history and into the future, but I see one great tribulation that's, that's already been inaugurated at the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we're presently in it and that John was in it himself, as he said in chapter 1, your fellow brother and partaker in the tribulation and in the kingdom. And so we see that the, the seals are the tribulation and we understand through our study already that that tribulation was walking itself out and is walking itself out in history and it will culminate and it will, it will reach its apex at a future time where there will be a great tribulation and that it will be, uh, it will be rough on the earth for the unbelievers and for the believers but that the tribulation and the the heightened sense and the greater tribulation will serve two purposes. One, it will be judgment on all of those who do not bow their knee to Christ, and it will be testing for all of those who do bow their knee to Christ. And the way that those who are true believers make it through the testing of the tribulation is through the seal of the Holy Spirit, which we see in chapter 7, the first part of chapter 7 which must come before chapter 6 because it is that which holds them and allows them to stand through the tribulation. Well then we move into the second part of Uh, chapter 7 and we see the great multitude uh, rising up and all the similarities I can't go back into all that but we understand that this is the same people as the 144,000 from a different perspective who have been sealed who have been washed and who are going and coming out of the tribulation as a matter of fact and I believe that chapter 7 verses 13 through 17 is a picture into heaven once the the tribulation and once the judgment is done but now we go back in chapter 8 to seal to show the seventh seal which is that final judgment the output Pouring of the wrath of God and the answering of the prayers of the saints. Listen to what he says. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. This is so significant, and it's got so many Old Testament ties that I can't go into them all, but I will say this. Oftentimes, over and over in the Old Testament, silence is the, is the precursor to the storm. It's the silence before the storm. In many instances, when it says that all the earth stood in silence because God had pronounced judgment on the earth. One instance that just came to mind, in the commentaries didn't add this one in here, but I couldn't help but to think of it when it said that silence fell. Now, it says when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. A couple of things I'll draw on that that I thought was interesting. But one thing I thought of Was Job. Was Job. Now, Job was a believer, but Job had all of these questions. He had all of these, all of these accusations, really, almost. He had all of these, the, the, these justifying remarks. He wanted to say, if I, could only get, if I could only get a minute with God, if I could only just, just put my case before the Lord, he wouldn't know. You see, how often, how often we do that very same thing. We look at Job and we go, how stupid. He wants a a meeting with God so he can explain his side of things as if God didn't know. You see, we oftentimes do that very same thing, right? And I think that this really goes hand in hand with the saints as well because they're, they're asking, when will you vindicate us? When will you vindicate? When will you vindicate your righteousness? When will you pour out judgment? And he says, hold on a little while. You don't understand. You don't see it all yet. You, you, you don't, it's not unfolded yet. There's still a little bit more that, that needs to be done. Well, I'll never forget it. And, you know, reading the story of Job when, when, when Job finally does get his meeting with God. You remember, he gets his meeting with God. He finally does get his meeting with God, and God thunders from the heaven. He answers him in a whirlwind is what the text says. And you know what Job's response is? He puts his hand over his mouth because he doesn't have a word to say. I believe the thrust of this text and the meaning behind this is it's got, a, it's got a, you know, several different uh, things that, it's, that it could be meaning here. But I think one that we cannot miss is that when God speaks and pronounces the final judgment, when he gives the verdict, everyone else shuts their mouths. And I want you to watch, at least in the text, it doesn't say that the earth, that the earth shut its mouth. What does it say? All of heaven was silent. Whew. Hush below the crowd. Everybody was silent. Nobody had an opinion. And you see, this is in great contrast. To the rest of the book, starting in verse 5, starting in verse 4 at least, all the way up through, we see singing and shouting and praising and, and, and all of these loud noises rising up, shouting great, worthy is the Lamb, holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb, the Lord God Almighty, worthy, worthy, worthy. And all of a sudden, For how long? 30 minutes. About half an hour it says. Another commentator pointed out that it was to it was to heighten the anticipation of God's final vindication final judgment. It was to heighten the anticipation. It was to cause It was to cause internal reflection. I can see that too. Because you know what silence does? You know, every one of you, well, maybe not every one of you, most all of us are deathly afraid of silence. We are. Watch this. How awkward was that. <laughs> I literally just counted over twenty instances where people went. <laughs> you know, we're so scared of it. I think this is my opinion. You know, it's because when there's nothing to drown out all the excuses, all the fluff, all the justifications, we start to examine who we really are and where we are before God Almighty who is absolutely pure. You want to know where you are in life? Go and get your Bible and dedicate two hours to read and sit silently before the Lord. I'm not telling you to go, at least at this time, and go pray and do all of your word, your nice wording, for two hours. Silence. We've been conditioned and taught from the church even, pray, 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 pray. And I say pray. Pray without ceasing. The scripture says that. But how often do you listen? we're so full of opinions. We're so full of this and that and that and this that we, I believe it was to heighten the anticipation. And the third thing that I'll bring out is my favorite, and I think that it's absolutely accurate to the text, is that one commentator had said that he believed God silenced all of heaven so that the prayers of the saints would be heard with excellent precision. You say, where'd you get that from? Well, let's continue to read. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Now I think that this is a I think that this is a linguistic transitional phrase that's put in here to get us to the seven trumpets. But I don't, I think that this is, you should have a parenthesis around that, okay? And when he when he speaks, when he says in verse two, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them, this is going to be right before chapter 6 in time sequence, okay? But this is going to interlock the two judgment scenes together. But it can't be these seven angels are doing what's found in 3 through 5 because they don't blow the trumpets until verse 6, okay? That's a little parenthesis there. So let's set this aside for just a second. This is a transitional mark here. Verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is absolutely almost identical language from what's found in chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, and also back in chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll of four living creatures and 24 elders... Uh, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, a, and golden bowls of in, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying. So they're at the altar with the prayers of the saints. They light these prayers up, and these prayers rise up before God. And this is, you see, the, the the saints in chapter 6 are what? They're praying. They're praying. Their prayers are going up before the Father. And so this is absolutely showing us that God hears your prayers He is not ignoring your prayers. I know that sometimes we don't understand why God isn't answering our prayers, but God is always answering our prayers. It may not be in the way that you understand, and it might not be in the time that you understand it, but God does hear your prayers, and it does move him to action how that works and him being sovereign and the the knowing the end from the beginning and beginning from the end and he'll never change and I don't know it's a paradox I'll admit it but God is changed by your prayers we see it in the scriptures he moves because of your prayers he is he gets up because of your prayers his hand goes to action because of your prayers he does work because you pray and so I'm asking you right now men of God women of God lift up your voices before God and pray so that things might get done you see, we, we, we act like that we need to get things done with our hands, and we do. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to go Saturday, and we need to help Dwayne's uh, aunt. She is, she's in need. She's, she's old. She can't do a whole lot for herself, and we need to go fix her bathroom, Dog on it. And there several of you men in here who are very capable and could help us knock it out just like that. Will you do it? I don't know. That's up between you and God. But we need to go help that woman. But you know what else we need to do with greater significance is that while we're there working with our hands on our knees, that we would offer up prayers for her, which would be, which would be one, received in a greater way because we're on our hands and knees serving her, and two, will do her greater good than any bathroom ever would because she's only going to use that For a few more years, lest the Lord comes back, you know. I'm not sure how much longer she has, I don't know not sure how much longer I have. But this physical work that we'll do will last a little while. It's temporal. But the prayers that we offer up obviously are heard throughout eternity and echoes in the halls of heaven. If these are the prayers of the saints in chapter six, when were they prayed? I would say that they have been prayed throughout time because I believe that chapter 6, the the saints in chapter 6 are all believers in all times. Does that, how does, is that not just, that's just, that when a a saint prayed 2,500 years ago, that that prayer went up and it's just echoing off the halls and God hears it perfectly. Why? Why? Because he's not temporal. He's not stuck in this time period. He's already there. And silence is falling over heaven right now. And he's like, shh. I want to make sure I hear every single one. That's good right there. If I don't light like your fire, your wood is wet. God hears our prayers and he acts. This is reminiscent in Revelation 11:18. 18. It's the same thing, and this depicts the final judgment. It's another reason that I don't think that uh, the seven trumpets are a continuation or a different tribulation and judgment than the seven seals because the flashes of lightning the thunder in a different order but they are they are indications and evidences of the final judgment in revelation 11:18 18 and 16 18 so we see that this is the final judgment and then we have the seven trumpets with another final judgment at the end of that so i believe that this is the, the same sequence of events retold from a different perspective with different details and shows us and gives us insights on the end that's to come but what i want you to see is is that god hears your prayers and he answers your prayers this is the answer to the prayers and you see this works in perfect order God's God is very good in his word so he has said in chapter 6 that these tribulations happen the saints cried out hey what's going on here he says there's some got to be uh, still brought in he shows in chapter 7 how they're going to stand through that tribulation he shows in chapter 7 at the end of chapter 7 how they are going to be brought in they're brought in they start singing praises to the Lord and then he says okay it's time with the, they've been they've been brought in now these are the ones coming out of the tribulation chapter 7 he says this, this this is now complete. Now it's time for judgment. And so he opens it up. All silence uh, is is hit all over heaven. Every every voice is quieted. Everything is, is stopped. He the, the prayers rise up. He takes those prayers, and it is fuel and motivation for him to scoop up with the censer. And the censer was that which the high priest would carry coals and that he would light the fires with. He would make sacrifices with. He takes the coals from the altar. And I would suggest to you that this is the coals that sacrificed Jesus Christ. So the same, the same uh, 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 wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ, you see it? You see it? The same wrath that was poured out on Jesus Christ will be felt by all of mankind. You see, the wrath of God only has two places to fall. The wrath of God only has two places to fall. It'll either fall on you or it'll fall on Christ. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed on the altar of God. By the, hand of, by the hand of men through the predestined plan of God. By the foreknowledge and the, and the pre-made plan of God. That he might take for us our sins. That he might receive for us the full condemnation and the wrath of God poured out on all of those who have forsaken the living God. And have traded him for hewn out vessels and for cisterns that hold no water wrath is coming and wrath is upon us wrath the wrath of God has been poured out on Christ already and those coals are hot they are hot and he has been sacrificed for mine and for your redemption for our atonement you see we need to be put upon the altar of God and experience the wrath of God it needs to be revealed from heaven upon us it does because we have denied God you know you have I have all of sinned and fall short of the glory of God we deserve the wrath of God as much as any child murderer child rapist that's just a, that's just a fact of the matter as a matter of fact you say what are you talking about I'm not that bad yes you are we just can't hear your heart but you can and you know you know the thoughts that you've had so wicked and disturbed Thoughts that have cropped up in your mind, you say, Where did that come from? And I see people shaking their heads that look so innocent. He surprised me. I'm like, oh, for real? You got sin? <laughs> but the truth is that we're all totally depraved and we're wicked beyond wickedness. Amen? And we all deserve the wrath of God, and we will all get it unless somebody takes it for us. Somebody who is worthy to take it for us, somebody who can fulfill all the covenant requirements in order to secure for us the blessings promised by God through covenant faithfulness and obedience. You see, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh who perfectly fulfilled God's law Who perfectly fulfilled all of God's righteous commandments. And he secured for us all of those by becoming a curse in our place. By receiving the full wrath of God unto himself. What was in the cup? He said, I must drink the cup. What was in the cup? He drank the cup of wrath. For me and for you. That the wrath of God might fall upon him and that we might experience the righteousness of God. You see, this is all about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the sacrificial lamb. He is the one that hears the prayers of the saints. He is the one that comes down to do the work on the cross. He is the one that goes into the grave. He is the one that resurrects in order to secure for us freedom and life over death. He is the one that ascended back into heaven, and he is the one that will pour out the wrath of God, for the wrath of God is poured out in the presence of the Lamb. What have you done with Jesus today? Is Christianity your reality? Are you little Christ? Are you living for Christ? Is He your life and your breath and your being? Are you Christians in every sense of the word? Is Christianity your reality, or is it just an add-on to your reality? Does Jesus Christ find his being in you? Are you filled up full of the Holy Spirit? Are you pleading with God? Are you crying out to him? Are your prayers going up to him? We've got lots of work to do, men and women of God. We've got work to do with our hands. We've got prayers that continually need to be lifted before the throne, that continually need to be lifted up to God. I would call you and commission you today to pray for me. Pray for me. Because though I speak a good game, I'm going to be transparent with you for a minute. Though I I know the truth, I just proclaimed it to you. But I struggle in my prayer life. I struggle in my prayer life a lot of times just because I'm so busy. And I forget to pray. Or even when I remember I'm so tired I don't. Or, God forbid, I just want to do something else instead. Yes. Your pastor has those struggles too. Sometimes they come in the form of sports. Sometimes they come in the form of work. Sometimes they come in the form of a video game. Sometimes they come in many different forms. But I'm not where I need to be. I'd ask you to pray for me. Pray for my motivation to be continually in God's Word. To be continually before the throne of God, praying and lifting up holy hands before the Lord. And I'll commit to pray for you. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see the well become a place that is faithfully praying day and night for the salvation of souls all around us. That we would be become a people who faithfully and continually pray for our own hearts and our own minds and our own consistency. That we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. And not just the hands and feet of Jesus, but the voice of Jesus. That, that, that we would love others and that we would plead with them to escape the wrath of God by falling under the blood of the Lamb. That we would, that we would call out to them in a loving voice. Listen, I, you don't have to agree with me and everything. Just look at this. Just look at the Lamb just look at it you know we will accomplish a lot more with our prayers than than with our actions and with our words but if we are praying people if we are a if we are a believing people then those prayers and those beliefs will find their manifestation or their evidence in our hands i long to be a complete people don't you let's pray for each other we've ended a little early today let's let's pray for each other let's just spend a few minutes and let's pray for each other can we do that pray for your brother and sister to sit beside you i bet he's struggling i bet she's struggling with something you know pray for them that they would wouldn't be so prideful pray for them that they would experience love because somebody's hurt them pray for them that they would experience freedom because something may be trying to put them in bondage Pray for them that they would understand that you love them and you don't hate them. Pray for your own self that you'd stop hating them. There's hate in the room. There's people in the room. Pray for me, I pray for you. Let's all stand to our feet and we're going to have a time of invitation here at the end. And just a a moment of prayer as they they play this last song, as they worship here. Let's pray for each other and do it intentionally. Look around you, pray. Pray pray for them in a way that would lift them up and encourage them if somebody leads you to go and pray audibly with them if god leads you to we'll have a we'll have a few minutes here the end let's just pray and seek god and let's worship if anybody wants me to pray for you i'll be up here let's pray together